please leave me a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. Thank you. How about this? We'll play this game. All right. What do you think I'm actually trying to ask? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not here to get into your head. <laughs> uh, but, but, but I admire your efforts here to get into mine. <laughs> Welcome to your eulogy. The world, it's big. And time, don't get me started. Mix the world and time together, and you've got one big angry microwave cake on your hands, which is to say, a mess. And journalists take that mess, and they help show us what kind of microwave cake I was trying to make, and why it blew up instead of fluff up into a delicious five-minute dessert. I'm referencing um, mug cakes um, that you, you can make a little cake in a mug and put it in the microwave. Anyway... Uh, reporters are important, and today's guest is a longtime reporter. His name is Randy First. First spelled with a U, not an I. I went up to the 13th floor of the Capella Tower, I think that's what it's called, in Minneapolis, up to where the Star Tribune is. I went all the way through security, which made me feel very legit, and I spent an hour chatting with this great reporter about reporting, the news, uh, talking to people about death and uh, his life, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Randy is a great guy. Does great work, and here is the theme song. Welcome to your eulogy podcast where we talk to someone about their life so that we can talk to them about their death. Today, I have the journalist, um, Randy First, who is a veteran journalist, has been uh, working in the field for 45 years. By veteran journalist, I mean a journalist, not a journalist on veterans, but just someone who's been at it for a while. Um, your eyes went up with that. Does that figure make sense? Well, I actually did do some stories about veterans in the last few weeks. So, uh, American uh, Legion held their 100th anniversary convention here, and I wrote about them, and I also wrote about a, a group uh, called Veterans for Peace, which was also holding their convention here. So I, I've covered just about everything, and I guess that includes veterans. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw that article, um, and the shocking thing was is they were... Um, not for the president, and that's not typical. Was that the? Or am I thinking of a different piece? No, you're thinking of the right piece. They were, they were raising some questions about uh, the uh, uh, the Trump administration's view toward the VA uh, Veterans for Administration Hospital here in uh, around the country. Back to your introduction. You've been nominated for four. Pulitzers, finalists for two of them, um, and, and this is all basically the Star Tribune's bio of you. Um, stuff like migrant worker conditions, um, two falsely accused black men who were accused of rape, 
the arrest of three commercial pilots for drinking while flying. And the fourth one was the exposure of a rogue Metro gang strike force. Um, I say all that just to give a general view of your career. Um, but I think it's funny because if you average it out for nominations over 45 years, that means one every 11.25 years, <laughs> which I assume that's not why you do it for <laughs> recognition every decade or so. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's the question itself. Um, what keeps you uh, going in reporting? Well, just uh, uh, digging into things, trying to make a difference, uh, trying to make the newspaper socially responsible. And uh, so I think all of those stories are reflective of that, or some of them anyway. And uh, um, I like my work, and I like to uh, be able to dig into things, and if I can, make a bit of a difference. Would you say your general philosophy of the fourth estate or part of the fourth estate is just a check on power? Um, just, uh, uh, I'm not sure I would put it quite that way. I just say uh, we're there to get at the truth of things. I called, I emailed you on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. You responded on a Friday, mm -hmm. and we met on a Monday. I, I said the word habit before, and I, my own personal philosophy is people are 90% just their habits and 10% what they believe in. Um, to me, that shows a person whose habit is to kind of continuously just move forward and um, and work a lot. And when I was just kind of briefly looking up some of the stuff you've written, just in the past year, you have a whole bunch of stuff. Um, you had uh, stories like controversial Minneapolis landlord to pay $8.5 million to settle tenants' class action suit, um, which I'm actually involved in, which so that was kind of exciting to hear. Um, at Excelsior Rally, a plea for more gun restrictions. Uh, Vincent E. Johnson, a lawyer and World War II vet, who opposed the Vietnam War dies. Minneapolis buys nine properties to house displaced tenants. Um, I'm just blown away by your field of work. Mm -hmm. I already was a fan of your work, and I was kind of aware of you, but um, is the, are you a typical journalist in terms of how much work you get done? Well, I'm typical around here in that there's a lot of productivity out of our reporters here. Um, I have certain fields of uh, that where I have some additional expertise, such as some of the, uh, more recently in terms of the housing stories, but uh, I'm a, I'm sort of a jack of all trades, general assignment reporter, so you'll find me on all sorts of different topics. Let, yeah, um, so... I was kind of thinking of what you do, which is like factual reporting, um, the where, what, when, who, why mm -hmm. type stuff. And what I do with this series is more emotional investigations of people, Sure. Um, which sets up a binary that they're very different. Mm -hmm. um, do you agree with that? Do you, how do you deal with the emotional side 
of um, reporting stories and talking to people about very emotional things like you know losing their housing or losing a loved one to like gun violence or something. Um, well, that can be tricky. I've done a fair amount of that over the years. Um, I learned uh, early on, I think, that in order to talk to somebody who's suffered a great loss, you to try to get it, you have to try to get in to their. Excuse me. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. Need to well, check take this. a short break. We have a. I, I'm at work or at Randy's work right now. Okay. Um, it's important to have a certain, you know, considerable empathy for people who are in their situations under, to try to understand where they're coming from. If somebody is having a tough time with their apartment or whether somebody has just lost a loved one in some tragic way, you have, you have to put yourself to, to the best you can in their shoes so that, um, so that you recognize that, so that they, so that you can understand where they're at and also be sensitive to the fact that you're intruding in their lives. How old were you when you were like a teenager? Oh, no. <laughs> About the oh, same what, as everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> what, what time was that? Oh, what years? Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm trying to see what were the big events because there are certain peaks in journalism where it's like journalists are like the heroes of society. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, let's see. By the time the Vietnam War peaked, virtually every student was involved. Uh, it was an era of great involvement. And I came to work at the Star Tribune in 1973 when the Water, Watergate um, scandal mm -hmm. began to unravel. And uh, so uh, was very much involved in the kind of, uh, you know, influenced by that, that, that period, as were many journalists. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you feel like... Um, I mean, I, I have to tell you, I had my. I don't know. Have, have you ever seen the movie All the President's Men? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Famous scene of a uh, um, re reporter, I guess Bob Woodward, meeting with his deep throat, his source, in an under in a parking ramp. Remember that in the shadows of yeah, the parking lot. Yeah, yeah. I had the same kind of experience here, um, uh, uh, Minneapolis. I met a source who insisted on being confidential in a parking ramp. Uh, the difference was that my story was about parking ramps. <laughs> so, I mean, not to laugh at it. My brother is an engineer who builds parking ramps, so I. I normally prickle with people laughing at the idea of making parking ramps. Well, this source wanted to describe how some of the ramps in Minneapolis were falling apart and you know, crumbling. It was, uh, I think, shortly after a car actually went through a floor. And this was quite a few years ago, and this public official was prepared to tell me about it, but because of the position the official was in, they could not disclose their name so we had this 
confidential meeting in a conf- with a confidential source in the parking lot. Wow. Yeah. There, is there a workaholism um, in the journalist community? You know, it's kind of, for me, it's sort of driven by a story. You know, if, there's, if I'm into something, uh, or I'm working on something now that I'm really into, um, you know, I will take whatever time it takes. So I might be working in, into the evening or, you know, whatever hours or in the weekend or what, whatever it takes to get the story out. Mm. Has that ever become a problem? With like uh, your personal life or your, even just your health? At a certain point, probably it affected my health a little bit. Um, um, so I've learned to, over the years to moderate my, you know, I eat more healthy, I, you know, exercise more carefully. And uh, in terms of my personal life, uh, um, uh, my late wife was very understanding of it. And uh, generally speaking, although the, there would be some rough, difficult days when I was constantly working, but she supported what I was doing. And then uh, 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 she sadly died a few years ago. I remarried uh, in uh, last April, and my uh, my uh, wife now she understands totally what I'm involved in, and and so if I'm at it at at, at the difficult times she's totally accepting mm. which is nice I was going to ask you when we first spoke on the phone yeah. um, you you said you were interested but didn't want to do the eulogy because you don't like the idea of um, what'd you say like feeding your ego what, what do you find off-putting about that form of you well, it may something. be fine for some people, but for me, it, I just assume not, you know, indulge my own ego. Uh, you know, you, 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 you were very kind enough to summarize some of the work that I did. Um, I, I'm not sure where you got it all, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, uh, it, I I'm, I'm really don't feel like eulogizing myself. What do you think about the... So when I think of um, what I want said about me um, when I die doesn't really have to do with my accomplishments, mm-hmm. in quote, um, because those are gone. Um, but you still have relationships with people that, that remain. And that's what I would like my you know, final testament <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to serve, to you know, tell people... You know, to explain to them, you know, why I messed up when I messed up, you know, why I strove to do good things mm-hmm. when I did that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you, what do you feel um, you would want uh, communicated? Um, you still you want to get a eulogy out of me, don't you? <laughs> too good. You're too experienced. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, you know, I kind of like to think that I was uh, helpful to people. I was kind to people, and uh, you know, uh, I was decent to my family. You know, yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, my generation and, and the culture I 
kind of grew up in, not really my family, but later on, is like 80% emotional analysis. And the way that you talk about your life is more about figures and, and events and things like that. Do you think that there is a generational um, divide between us about how we um, see the world? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. You know, but I, that, it's interesting that you have a, see things emotionally. From time to time, you do see things emotionally. I, uh, in 2015, my wife of 43 years died. And uh, I experienced a level of emotion and sadness and grief that I have never experienced in my life and I hope I never experience again. And it was... Um, it was very sad, very painful. Uh, she had she had had uh, uh, Alzheimer's for about ten years. She was sort of in middle stages of Alzheimer's, but then she died suddenly hmm. and unexpectedly uh, in the middle stages of it. And uh, it was probably good for her, and it was not so good for me. And uh, it was a you know a shattering experience and I went to grief groups for quite a while and uh, um, you know experienced not only sadness but from time to time I would talk about her and I would lose it and I'm hopeful that I won't when I talk to you about it but anyway you know she had been my partner and my lover and my closest uh, you know, we did so many things together and uh, was just an absolutely extraordinary person. And it was the... Uh, uh, and, and, so, uh, and so, you know, I experienced a level of emotion uh, that I had never imagined. And uh, so... You know, I'm uh, somewhat healed from that. I suspect I will never be healed. From time to time now, I can get emotional about her. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it's a, uh, uh, one of the things about um, my wife, who I married, as I said, I married a few months ago, is that she uh, appreciates that I, the love that I had for um, my first wife and understands and uh, understands and appreciates the, the grief that from time to time I express about that. So, so she's, she's, she's quite a woman too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like a good story. I like it when we finally nail something. Uh, there's a sort of that eureka moment, and I can suffer fear on the most mundane journalistic levels if I'm not going to get what I set out to get. You know, an editor asks for this, or I tell an editor I'm going to try and get this, and you can't get it. Um, uh, 
So sometimes it's that element of fear a little bit that helps push me get what I need to get because I want to do I want to, at the end of the day, be able to say that if I didn't get it, nobody tried harder. There was a, uh, a famous uh, baseball player, I'm not sure, he may be in the Hall of Fame, he was a relief pitcher named Dennis Eckersley. And when Dennis Eckersley came in, the game was over. And somebody asked him, why, what drove you? And he said, fear of failure. Even though I join terribly, terribly enjoy terribly what I do, uh, I've also, uh, it, it, it's something that, uh, that, that one lives with. This has been your eulogy. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my guest, Randy First, for being on it. Um, this episode was produced and edited, and the music was done by me, Matthew Schneeman. For any questions, you can go to youreulogymail at gmail.com. Um, that is it. Um, yeah, please leave ratings, reviews, all that stuff that you leave on podcasts. Um, is obviously helpful because this is still a teeny podcast. Um, that's all I have. Thank you very much. Thank you.